Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 84th episode of our podcast, I interviewed Shannon McClay, founder and CEO of The Financial Gym. We're always thinking about our mental and physical health, but how often do we stay on top of our financial health? If you do, that's awesome, but if you think there's room for improvement, the Financial Gym could be a great fit for you. The Financial Gym is a revolutionary financial planning company that helps people of all financial backgrounds get and stay financially fit. Since I was interviewing a financial expert, I wanted to take full advantage of leveraging Shannon's expertise. Thus, the format for this episode is a bit different, where we go very deep on lots of personal finance-related topics that are useful for all. Thus, in this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Shannon's background and her love for the hustle, a deep dive into the financial gym, including the aha moment and how it all works, what it's like being on the Today Show, and the story about how Shannon started her podcast, Martinis in Your Money, the five financially fit numbers that you should be paying attention to, like how much you should save, benchmarks for your credit score rating, debt to income ratio, and more, advice on asking for a raise, and whether or not you should share your salary with your colleagues at work, her thoughts on preparing yourself financially if you're thinking of starting a business, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note. If you are enjoying the VentureFizz podcast, then please consider giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. It is such a simple thing, yet it is so helpful for us in terms of having other people discover these great interviews. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Shannon. Shannon, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm really excited because we're going to talk not only about uh, your professional journey and you as an entrepreneur and starting this great company, The Financial Gym, but we're also going to talk about a very important topic that a lot of people get a little uneasy to talk about, and that's your financial situation, right? Yeah. So there's so much information and so much great things that you do in relation to that topic that I'm really excited. I think it's going to be great for our audience to hear that. Yeah, same. Let's do this. Let's do it. All right. So let's start off with you. So talk about your background, even going back, like where did you grow up and you know, what were you like as a kid? Yeah, I, um, I grew I like to tell people I grew up in a HUD house. So we were in low income housing in uh, on Long Island and I didn't know we didn't have money. Um, it wasn't until I was older that you know, we had, I didn't have money. I knew I, I started working when I was 10. I, I was babysitting for money. Um, and when I was 14, I got my first job. And once I got my first job working in a bagel store, like real job, non-babysitting job, um, I, um, I started paying for everything myself. And I didn't think about it. I didn't think about the fact that if I wanted new clothes, I was buying them, you know, myself. My mom just kind of checked out. I mean, I bought my prom ticket, I bought my prom dress, like, and I didn't really think about it until, you know, later on in life that, you know, friends who have more support, but I liked working. I always liked working. Um, I, and then, you know, kind of other side story of me, I'm type A overachiever. When I was, the story my mom likes to tell is when I was in kindergarten, uh, she was in the hospital. She'd just given birth to one of my, my third, my sec, first sister, but one of my sisters. And, um, and my uncle was watching us and he went to the bathroom and he looked down the stairs and it was like 5.30 in the morning and I was dressed and ready for school in kindergarten. And he was like, Shannon, you know, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm ready for school. And it was like, I knew my mom wasn't there. You know, and I was like, had that sense of like taking care of myself and I've done personality tests since then and like Enneagram and all that stuff. And I get why I'm like that, but I was just always like, I just took care of myself from working and 
I just always felt like an old soul and I, I love working. I've always loved working. Um, so I worked at the bagel store through high school and college. I worked um, at Best Buy. That's like common theme of mine is like the hustle. That was, I, I was never afraid of the hustle. I, I would tell people the one summer I worked at, at the bagel store, I worked 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. shift. That was the shift I always worked, 6 in the morning to 2 p.m. And then I also worked at a restaurant and the restaurant I worked 5 to close, like midnight, you know, so I would like work 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., come home, shower, then go to the restaurant from five to midnight and like go back and, and, um, and like rinse, repeat. <laughs> and I literally was working seven days a week and it was Monday. I didn't work at the bagel store. I just worked at the restaurant and I, so I didn't have to go in to like noon. I remember Mondays felt like luxury, you know, mm -hmm. and I worked seven days a week. I didn't even think about it. And then in college I worked at Best Buy and I remember doing, um, Inner, like going through senior year, going through career services, like working on my resume. And they were like, what do you do? You know, and I was like, oh, I'm just like a cashier at Best Buy, like no big deal. And they're like, well, you know, I, mean, I didn't want to put that on my resume because I, I just had a summer internship at Merrill Lynch. And I was like, that's more relevant. This is like in 2000. I was like, this is more relevant to getting a job in investment banking, which is what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, what are you doing at Best Buy? And I said, just like a cashier, no big deal. And they were like, how long do you work? How many hours do you work? And I was like, depends on the week, between 36 and 40 hours a week. And they were like, wait a second, you're working a full-time job. <laughs> That's a full-time job. And you're going to college and you have a 3.6 GPA. Like you should yeah. put this on your resume. I just didn't even, you know, I was like, I, I don't know. I didn't even think about it. It shows a lot. Yeah. And so when I, the funniest thing is like I interviewed with Goldman Sachs, I interviewed with Morgan Stanley, every interview, they were like, tell us about this full-time job you have in college. And I was like, I'm literally just a cashier at Best Buy. It's like not rocket science, but it was that hustle and work ethic that now I get is critical. Um, and I tell people I've never, I've had a lot of financial ups and downs, but I've never been afraid at the end of the day and how my finances are going to play out because I'm not afraid of hard work. And mm -hmm. You see that with our clients at the gym. I say it to my trainers all the time. Our clients who are not afraid of the hustle or the hard work, like they're always going to be fine at the end of the day. It's the ones that, that don't like it. Those are like the harder to motivate people and the harder to get financial results. Yeah. No, I think uh, so. I'm very grateful for my parents. They instilled that work ethic in me. And you know, so my dad, he, he always had his own companies mm -hmm. and he had a leather coat factory. So when I was 12 years old, I was cleaning a 12,000 square foot leather coat factory. Which yeah. Is cleaning leather scraps, like all the sewing machine stuff and like restrooms and like- Did he pay you or was it like- Yeah, yeah, I got paid like five, 10 bucks a week. But that was enough to buy the tape that I wanted to buy for whatever, you know, Quiet Riot or some van, right? So- Oh uh, yeah, Keith, we're, we're old people, right? We remember I tape know. and like Casey Kasem was like my weekend entertainment <laughs> mixed yep. <laughs> I, we do we do playlists for our clients like musical playlists and I in my mind view them as a mixtape and our clients are like oh like Spotify playlists I'm like okay yeah that too <laughs> right <laughs> there's more modern there was a mix CD at some point yeah now it's a Spotify yeah. playlist yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the whole effort of creating a playlist for your significant other is not the same as it was when you had to do no. the tape no when you had to find the song and like had to like you had to yeah. listen all weekend for mm -hmm. like on the radio for it to yep. play for you to record it unless you were like super fancy and you had one of those like two tape things but yep. then you buy the one tape to record it on the other i mean mm -hmm. 
yeah, now it's like you select songs on Spotify. What? Like yeah. no effort there. There's no effort. There's no love. <laughs> so you did land into the whole world of, you know, the, the financial services industry. Investment banking. Yeah. I yeah. had the job. I had the 90 hour work. So of course, because um, I got a number of jobs, had a number of job offers. I remember, I feel bad. Um, not now, I didn't know at the time, but I graduated in 2000 and um, I had five job offers before Thanksgiving of my senior year. I mean, it was such a great place to be in. And I took a job with Bank of America on their trading floor in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, and it was an investment banking job and it was 90 hours a week. And that was what I went to school for. I was so excited. I was getting paid. Um, and yeah, and I paid loved well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I tell people I, when, after starting the gym, becoming an entrepreneur, I tell people all the time, I never made less in my life than when I started this business. And it's true. Cause I think my first job out of the first job at, with Bank of America, I made 65,000 a year with my salary. Plus I got a $10,000 bonus like after a year. So I mean, my first job right out of school was 75,000. This is 20 something years ago. And, um, Yeah. When I started a business, like way less than that. <laughs> way less. Like my first job. Stories of entrepreneurship. Yeah. <laughs> but so you did end up kind of you know finding your way through investment banking through multiple financial and services companies, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I did. I worked um, on the trading floor. Um, I did that for like eight years. I tell people I was. Uh, I did worked on investment banking for eight years. And then I wanted to go into hedge funds. Like all my friends who were making money were at hedge funds. And I was like, yeah, I want to do this. So this was in 2008. So the summer 2008, I say, I want to leave Bank of America. I leave, I go to work for a small hedge fund. This is June of 2008. And then um, September of 2008, Lehman Brothers. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well. December of 2008, uh, Madoff happens and I'm working at a hedge fund now. Okay. And then January of 2009, my hedge fund closed because <laughs> they were like locked up like a lot of funds. And, um, and I w it was owned, run by a family office. And I, part of the reason why I took that job with the hedge fund, I thought, if it doesn't work out, if this hedge fund thing doesn't work out, the family has a lot of other businesses. So maybe they'll just keep me on and um, and, and they did, they actually let go of a few other people, but they said, you're smart. You, you figured things out. It was a commercial real estate fund. And so they were like, we're going to, we're going to start managing some of these properties in house. Like the fund actually owned them. And, um, so there was a period of time where I ran a hotel in Michigan that had a golf course and 150 rooms. And, um, yeah, it was not a fancy hotel and it was like, I did never wanted to stay there. My, my, my boss is like, we own the hotel. You have to stay there. Like you can't go and stay at the Holiday Inn. You have to stay at our hotel. And I'm like, I don't like our hotel because I knew all the drama of what was happening at the hotel. We were trying to sell it and we had property in California. I had a few like projects I was doing and I was happy there um, doing that. And then right around, I remember thinking when I left Bank of America too, I was like, I have two years to see if this hedge fund thing works because after two years, your licenses will go away. So I had my series seven and 63 and all these, um, licenses. So now I'm in like 2010 and I was like, I remember briefly feeling like, Oh, you know, if I was going to go back, I would need to go back now. Cause I don't want to take all these tests again. This is, this is crazy. And I literally get a call out of the blue from my former boss at bank of America who said now bank of America merged with Merrill Lynch. And the time that I had left, 
the two companies merge and it's my group was reorganized and they said, do you want to come back and work for the bank? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, I literally didn't even take a second. I was like, no, I think I said no effing way. Um, and they were like, yeah, but we're different now. Like we changed. I'm like, this is like it's the worst shotgun marriage ever post the 2008 debacle, Merrill Lynch and Bank of America. Like so many unhappy people. Like it's such a conflict, like in every imaginable. And you want me to come back and take a job where I'm working with Merrill Lynch financial advisors. Um, that's great. Like, so I literally said no. But then I was like, you know, um, I can be bought. So they came back and I was like, yeah, here's what I want. And I negotiated like $50,000 more than when I left two years ago and, and a bunch of upfront pay and guaranteed bonuses. So they came through with money and I was like, I feel like it was a sign. So I, I went back, um, went back to Bank of America and then was working with Merrill Lynch Financial Advisors at this, at this point. And at that point, my personal life too, I was like, I feel like I need a financial advisor. I was about to buy a house and had a kid, you know, the, all the life planning things that I, and I was like, I need one. And I was working with all these financial advisors. And I said, this is going to be really easy to find my own. Cause I'm literally working with like the best. And I tell people in the process of looking for myself, I just became woke to the advisory space. You know, they're all like kind of the same. I, I met the best guy and I met the worst guy, like production wise. And they thought they were significantly far apart from each other. I thought they were the same guy that just the guy who was better just had a nicer suit. You know, I, I, they seem like the same guy to me at the end of the day. And I thought this is really, it feels really unfair. Um, and especially if somebody's looking for diversity, it was really like near impossible to find. So, um, I was talking to a, for, a friend of mine who ran a, a Merrill Lynch branch and he said, I would hire you in a heartbeat. And I was like, yeah, I think I should be a Merrill Lynch financial advisor. And, and my plan was to bring diversity to give, you know, change and um, kind of become the advisor I wanted that I couldn't find, you know, that kind of financial concierge, the person who's going to like kind of handle the things for you and figure it out for you. Cause like, we're all busy in our own jobs. Like the, the I didn't even know, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I didn't know what an ETF was and I worked on a trading floor. I mean, so, you know, I remember saying to people, Oh, what should I do with this money? And they're like, Oh, just invest in ETF. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I didn't even know what an ETF was. I mean, I knew it was less fees than a mutual fund, but I was like, I was on Fidelity's site trying to like search ETF and like 15,000 options came up and I was like, I don't even know. And I'm, you know, a smart person. So I was like, this is like, that's what I was like. I need, I need the person to figure this out. So, um, I left B of A Maryland joined, became a Maryland financial advisor and, um, to work with me at Merrill Lynch, you had to have 250,000 in assets. And I didn't think anything of that. I was around money. I'd been around money my whole career at this point it was like 13 years in. So um, I thought this was going to be easy. And it was, I, I mean, not like easy, but I was bringing in new clients, high net worth individuals and families. And then, um, and then I started building this like unintentional side business of what I call pro bono clients. And because I didn't look and feel like a traditional financial advisor, I took every meeting. So people were like, Hey, can you help me with my money? I'm like, yeah, let's grab coffee. Let's figure it out. And, and I tell people all the time, the, the most um, ironic first meeting was this woman who said, I have 250,000. And it was like a movie that played in my head. I was like, oh, 250,000 in student loan debt. And I make 50,000 a year doing discovery work for this law firm. And like, how am I going to get ahead? And she's like, I just feel like unlovable because of all this debt. And I was just like, wow, this is she's got a lot of issues. <laughs> you yeah. know, and I was like, wow. And I didn't know how to help her. Cause I didn't, I couldn't do a wealth management analysis for it, Marilyn. She didn't have wealth. Um, 
but I wanted to help her and figure it out. So I just kind of started doing these plans on the side. And I tell people I became the worst financial advisor ever because I love people with no money. Um, <laughs> pro bono clients were so much more interesting, you know, having, having them like figure out how to like figure it out. Because for me, I just always made more money, you know, or just kind of always whenever I had financial challenges, which I didn't view in the past, which I now know are issues and we'd see with our clients, like I would have credit card debt, but I would pay it off with bonuses. You know, I never really had, or I'd ramp it up knowing I was going to get a bonus. And, but I, you know, I was just money just like cleared it, cleared it up, but I wasn't doing the right things and I wasn't planning properly, but money kind of always fixed it for me in the past. And here I was meeting all these people who didn't have money in an investment banking job to kind of clear up their financial challenges and they had real challenges. And I literally, I tell people all the time, my like Oprah aha, aha moment of starting my company was, um, it was, it was a week of my life and it started with the week started with a quarterly review with a couple and they had over a million dollars invested with me and their portfolio was down 3%. And they're just complaining about where their money was. And I spent an hour of my life making them feel better about being a little less rich. And it was really soul sucking. I was like, I guess this is the job of a financial advisor. Like here these people are making six figures each and, you know, have plenty of money, but they're stressed out about where their money is. And then two days later, I did a plan for a woman, a pro bono client. I just told her, here's, here's how you save. Here's um, just like our plans at the gym. Here's how you deal with your credit cards. Here's student loans, just all bulleted things. And at the end of it, she said, you know, you're saving my life, right? And that was like my aha. I was like, wow, this feels so much better than yeah. that. And, and it was this aha of, I have to create a company for people like this, which is the majority of America, because right. nobody wants to help this person. No financial services company wants to help this. They're all falling over themselves for the people with a million dollars. Nobody's falling over themselves for the person with a thousand dollars who wants to invest. Mm -hmm. Because I tell people the problem with financial services is that the only way they make money is selling you a product. It needs to be called the financial products industry because if they can't sell you an ETF or a mutual fund or a credit card or mortgage or some kind of way they can make money, then they don't want to help you. And um, meanwhile, what I was seeing were people who wanted to pay to help me or pay me to help them. And I, so I told you my, my altruistic side was like, I want to help these people. My capitalistic side was like, I want to take their money because they want to pay me. So I have to figure out a way to take the money. And all around the same time, I was on this weight loss journey and I lost over 50 pounds. And, and so financial and physical health were all like swirling around my brain. And I thought when people want to get physically healthy, if so many options, they could go. But if people want to get financially healthy, where would they go? And I thought you would go to a financial gym. And that would be the place where I would send the pro bono clients to. And I said, I have to create the place because no one's going to do it. And now this was five years ago, five years later, I know why no one wants to do this. It's a freaking long, hard road. Like this is not easy. I get why people were doing it, but every day we get closer and closer to feeling like we have the right answer. So the impact you're making the people's lives, as you mentioned before, it's just, it's huge. It's game changing. I mean, we really, physical, physical health or mental health, physical health and financial health are all equally important. And people have options for physical health. They have options for mental health. They don't have options for financial health until, you know, us, but, um, yeah, it's, it's game changing. I mean, my, my team, 
you know, we're a startup and I don't have, you know, money coming out of everywhere, but my team, I have one of the best teams and they work really hard and they work long hours, but we have a really rewarding job too at the end of the day. I mean, it is, it is life-changing to get people, especially people who don't see a way out when, you know, the financial situation is really kind of fuzzy and they're not really sure how to put the pieces together. It really is. It's game-changing for them. And how does it work? So the financial gym is your company um, mm-hmm. and you get paired up with a financial trainer. So definitely keeps on that analogy of going to a... Oh, there's so much analogy, Keith. You have no idea. I mean, people are like, you're really, you're full in on that. I'm like, there's, it works, right? It I, works. I, it totally plays. It's so people get it, right? They get it. I tell people all the time, we hear people like, I don't understand money. Um, I don't get money. I don't get it. But they get physical healthy. I would say even if we're not physically healthy, like we get it. We get like the ideas around it or that you have to train for a marathon. You have to, you know, watch your friends at CrossFit to train up to the lifting, heavier weights. Like we get those things. And so we just like to apply what we get to the things people don't get, which is money. And and how does it work? So if I wanted to sign up, I would Mm -hmm. obviously create a membership like I would at a gym, Mm -hmm. sit down with a Financial trainer. Uh, financial yeah. trainer, like a fitness trainer. Mm-hmm. Talk about my goals. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I want to retire at age X and I want to have, you know, maybe a second home someday or whatever my, you know, get out of my debt, right? Yep. Whatever. Talk yeah. About- so the, the process starts with, we call it our warm up call team, which I is free. And what I love, something I love about, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. First of all, I tell people all the time, I had no intention of starting a business. I just wanted to make money. And then, that aha happened to me. And then I was like, this is the business I have to create. Um, like God help me. Right. I just had to do it. So, um, I never wanted to, but now I, here I am. And, um, what I love is that of being the boss is that I can have control over the type of business I have. So the first thing is a warm call team. And, um, we are not trying to sell you on the gym. Um, in fact, it's kind of the reverse. If you're not ready to work with us, like we don't want you to, you know, if you're not ready to do the work, cause getting financial takes work, then we want you to make sure you're ready. So my team is amazing. Warm up call team. Um, just telling you more about us and trying to find out a little bit about you so we can pair you with the right trainer. Then you get paired with the trainer. The first session we call your financially naked session, um, lovingly, because uh, we say you're going to get financially naked with your trainer. You're going to share everything, what's in the bank account, what's on the credit card, student loans, the things that we're hiding from even sometimes our significant others because money is the ultimate taboo. So we understand it's a really stressful first session, but we want you to feel comfortable and you're going to share all those things and you're going to share about your goals. They're like, once that the strip naked is done, then we want you to, you know, put together this picture of what you could accomplish. And what I love that we do is like, especially so many people were like, what do you want it? What are your one to three year goals, three to five year goals? And so many people are like, I don't know. I mean, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So like, I don't even know what I could do. And we're like, okay, well, if money wasn't a problem, what would it be? And imagine that bigger life for yourself. And then that's the best is like when they're like, well, I really would love to travel or I'd really love to do this. And it's like, great, let's write it down. Like it's part of the goal. Like uh, let's make the plan. Then uh, a week later, the trainer gives you your plan, which is the big roadmap for the trip. Here's how much you need to save. Here's how much you need to make. So people are living paycheck to paycheck. A lot of times it's because the paycheck's not big enough. And so you know, we have some clients who are like, I just don't even know how much I need to make. And we're going to tell you, if you have all these things, all these things you want to accomplish, you're making 60, you really need to make 80. And so how are we going to do it? And then that's part of their training with their trainer is like, how do we get you on the trajectory to 80? Um, or how do we significantly cut your expenses so that 60 works? But 
we don't really care. It's your road trip. It's your journey. Um, we just want to, you know, help you get the path to there. And then, um, and then ongoing, you have quarterly check-ins, just like, like a financial advisor. And the check-ins are, um, are really game changing because we're not there to judge, but we review what you spent, like how we, you know, our trainer is like, we're like mint.com, but you've outsourced mint.com to your trainer. Mm -hmm. So we give you a very helpful report of here's how you spent your money. And, um, and that's really eye opening too for clients because a number one complaint we get is, uh, people saying, I don't know where my money's going. <laughs> I mean, I make money, but I don't know where it's going. And in those quarterly it's reviews, we're like, almost every oh yeah, I mean, you know, we got to know, but it's like, but it's in black and white now. It's like, here's exactly where your money's going. And we're not there to shame or throw shade or judge or whatever. Mm -hmm. What we talk about at the gym, a big slogan we have is what are you working for? And it's really important for us to help our clients identify what they're working for. We call it their sacred cows. What are the you know, two to three non-negotiables of your life where you want to spend money where, that are really important to you. Um, why do you get out of bed every day? Why do you do the things you're doing? And, um, you know, it could be your, your physical health, could be your soul cycle membership, could be your eating healthy, you know, family, whatever it is. So, and we say you can't have a herd of cows. You can have two or three Sager cows and, you know, you, then we're going to have to make choices on everything else. And, we really want to help our clients identify what's important to them and then help them spend their money on what they value instead of what they don't. Because, you know, sacred cows, our typical sacred cows at the gym are travel, uh, family, um, physical health, and mental health. Those are some big uh, sacred cows. Where are people spending their money? Amazon, Uber, Seamless or Grubhub, mm -hmm. um, CVS or some kind of, you know, Dwayne Reed Target, you know, fill in the blank that's not a most people's sacred cow list, right? So, and like the dining out, I mean, you know, dining out's fine, but like if you don't value it, if it's not one of your sacred cows, then we need to talk about how we cut it back. So. Very cool. now, so in, is it month to month? Like what's like, what? Yeah, it's pay? month. It's just like a regular gym membership. So you pay monthly, um, around $99 a month, kind of similar to a regular gym membership. And, um, something that I love too, is we just, we implemented this last summer. We have a six month money back guarantee. Cause we have people who are like, I don't know, like I live in paycheck to paycheck. Does this make sense? And I want to say, first of all, most people don't think about paying a hundred dollars for a regular gym membership. So, um, and if you don't feel like you could afford $99 a month, then you need to join our gym because right. like you're not, we, we can find the room, but if you don't do, and you know, you have to do half the things we say, which isn't a whole lot, um, and meet with your trainer four times over that six months to kind of figure out your solution. If you haven't significantly, if you haven't increased your net worth by what you've paid us, then I'm happy to give you your money back. Um, because I've been doing this now for six years, seven years, financially training clients. And, um, we've had clients with, I've had clients with me over five, seven years now and, um, we know what to do. So it's just like getting physically healthy. Sometimes you have to figure it out. Like with the client, like you, clients got to be committed, the trainer's committed. And, and then it's like figuring out what's going to work. Cause everybody's different. Like, like some people like, you know, running some people like for me, like I hate burpees. Like I will never do burpee. If you told me I had to get in shape to do burpees, I'd be like, no, I'll just stay. I'm not getting in shape because I won't. But I like bike riding. You know, I have a Peloton bike and I love it. And that's what I will do that. Like I will do that, but I will not do burpees. It's the, kind of the same thing with money with our clients. Like some people are like, I'm not going to expense track, like, or I'm not going on a budget. And I always say budgets are like diets. No one wants to be on one. We get it. But like, we'll find different ways for you to budget. Or it's like, you know, maybe it's a cash diet. Like we have a lot of different 
exercises that we can use. Sometimes it just takes longer to figure out what works for people. Now, obviously you've been doing a great job as far as building, you know, a brand for the financial gym as well as a brand for yourself and, you know, podcasting all of a sudden, like everyone's talking about podcasting. It's crazy right now. Like, like you know, it was yeah. one acquisition by Spotify and everyone's like, Oh my God, I need a podcast. But, um, so, but you've been podcasting for a really long time. I know, I'm so like an pod- OG podcaster. <laughs> so I looked at your, like your episodes. I'm like, I kept going deeper and deeper. I'm like, wow, she's been doing this for a real long time. So Martin, your money. Like, when did you start that? And what kind of was the thought? Because it wasn't easy to podcast then. No, I know. I, I, I did it as a dare, Keith. I mean, I, so yeah, I, I was blogging. I, when I left Merrill, I, um, when I, when I was at Merrill, they used to joke um, that, that I was the only woman in my new higher class of 25 guys. And, um, and I was blonde and um, I dressed, always dressed very like feminine because I was the only girl. And I just like, felt like this, like I had to like rebel against all the masculinity. I mean, the Merrill Lynch, logo is a bull. I mean, it was just like so much masculinity, right? So I was like the opposite and I would get these like, I, you should probably visit. I would get these like cute folders, right? That I would give them. <laughs> I would get these like pretty folders because I, and rather than use the Maryland bull folder um, and to give them their plans and stuff. And I have a guy like sit next to here, like passed by my cube and he's like, what's, what's with these folders? Like what? And he, and I was like, what? My clients like them. And, and somebody said, you're like the L Woods of personal finance, um, which like legally blonde. And I was like, yeah, like she had the scented resumes. I was like, yeah, I have my cute folders. It works. So um, I was like, I should create a, like a newsletter and call it financially blonde. Like that, that would be fun. That's me. And I remember going to my, my um, compliance officer and telling him this, and he was just kind of like, no freaking way. Like, no way. You want to do that? Like every, like I, like I did like my first one. I was like, let me just send it to you what I want to write. You know, I wanted to be like in English and like all these things and, you know, send it to women and uh, about money. And he was just oh. like, Oh, it got so edited down. It like wasn't even fun. And yeah, then I the, said, forget the it. Oh, in-house got a hold of that. They would rip that thing. They apart. did. Like, they did. There was like nothing. Yeah. There was like going to come after us. <laughs> there was like nothing left of what I was saying. And I was like, this wasn't fun. So I said to myself, whenever I leave here, I'm going to create a blog and I'm going to call it financially blonde. And that's what I'm going to do. So I created the blog and I did that right away. Like as soon as I left Merrill to start building the gym, I built the blog and, um, and I would go, I went to, it was going to this uh, financial blogger conference called FinCon and they were, they did, it was my second, no, I think it was my first one. And they had this video about podcasters and I was like on one podcast, but I never listened to them. And um, it was a video about all the podcasters and in personal finance. And it was almost like a joke that it was all dudes. You know, it was like, where are the women? You know, it was all dudes talking about money. And my, my blogger, female friends were like, you should start a podcast, Shannon. You should do it. And I was like, I don't even listen to podcasts. Like, what would I start a podcast about? And I do like to drink and I do like to talk about money. So I was like, maybe I'll call it martinis and your money living a better life one cocktail at a time. And like every episode will be like, what are we drinking? And we'll talk about money topics. And that was four years ago. And so it was literally a dare and I started doing it and you know, people, I was, you know, like people like were sort of listening, not listening. You know, it's like any pod, podcaster who starts the same thing with blogs. I mean, I started my blog. I was like two people were reading it, you know, mm-hmm. and then it started to grow and same thing with the podcast. It just started to grow. And then, um, 
And then now, yeah, I'm four years in, I do it once, once a week. And, um, but I tell people, if you're going to start a business, a podcast is a great way for people to know about your business and what you're doing. It was an unintentional, it is an unintentional marketing funnel for us, for the gym. Like I, I, I didn't start, I started as a, as a dare, but we started getting people, clients from the podcast and, and in, internally, because the gym is the podcast sponsor. We have people who join and my team always loves podcast listeners. It's like I said, there's like a Venn diagram of like podcast listener, gym client, like awesomeness in the middle. Um, and so it's great because they really get to know me and like some of my team and client stories and it's just become like a really good, um, you know, marketing tool for us, but it was not intentional. It was literally started as a dare because we're not to the point where, you know, the Today Show was calling you because you've been on the Today mm-hmm. Show multiple times and you know, yeah. just right next to Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, giving financial. He's not money. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> he so, he's so how, like, how does that start to happen? Like just no. continuing down this, you know, building a brand theme. Yeah. It's like everything, you know, you, it's just the hustle, you know, to continue, continuously do it. So we, um, most of the growth of the gym up until last year was mostly word of mouth and organic. And, um, and then we raised money, we raised money in 2017 at the end of it to build our first gym location in New York and then, um, you know, grow the business. And we were growing like fine organically, but we had a meeting with investors and they were like, you're really not putting a lot in paid marketing. You should, you know, you're kind of like the best kept secret, but that's not good (laughs) for a company. So we just started doing, um, you know, Instagram, Facebook ads. And in the past, I was not anti-Instagram, Facebook ads, because like a lot of people, I thought, we're just throwing money away. I'm just throwing money at Facebook and we're not getting anywhere. And it's lessons that we've learned over time. Like we, the interesting thing is we know people are feeling fear and shame around their money. That's something we just know. And so we were doing Facebook ads about all these financial life goals, you know, we were, and we, we hired an agency that really helped us like test it, but we did like three, we did four ads. Three of them were like buying a house, traveling, like the goals we know that people want. The fourth ad we did was meet the female CEO who's disrupting the financial planning business. That ad was our most successful, our most like clicks to the membership page, like, Mm -hmm. like driving business. And and then it was like this aha, another aha, like a light switch went off. It was like, here we are saying people are feeling fear and shame. And we can't go at the fear and shame head on in Facebook. Like they're, they're not on Facebook or Instagram to figure out their financial situation. They're avoiding it. So when we started kind of getting at the other things and more like interesting at like kind of non, non-financial ads, then we started getting more traction. And then, um, and, and interestingly, the... Uh, the the producer for the Today Show was actually she found out about us from an Instagram ad because she was wow. definitely our target on Instagram. So I love that it worked. Like I love when people are like I heard about you on Instagram. I'm like yeah, and you're exactly our target. So you went our target market got our target profile. So cool. yeah, so she literally got a, an ad. And then um, you know it's like it, it's the not success begets success, but it's like you do enough of it. So we did that. Um, we were on the Today Show, and then. And then it's like, oh, they know they can go to you. You know, if you, yep. if you kind of, you know, if you're prepared, you practice and, and they were like, yeah, this is great. Now we have a direct connection to the producer of the Today Show and the booking agent. And, um, and so we were pitching them other things when the Kevin O'Leary, they had a person drop out from that segment and they were like, who could we use? And it's like, who's been in their ear? Oh, 
you know, let's get them back on. So, um, you know, being prepared, I think there's so many like cliches and things that they say, but it's like always being prepared for the things. Cause that's like, you know, that'll lead you to the next thing. And the funny thing is with the today show, they wanted me to do those, you know, the five digits, um, for success. That's based on a um, presentation we've done. And literally a month before that, I had to give that presentation eight different times in two days to a, like, it was a training program. I was so over. And then we also did a webinar on it. And my team, I was like, if I have to talk about these digits one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. And then literally today she was like, yeah, we want you to come on and talk about the digits. And I was like, here we go. But like, as like, as the universe like is gives you these gifts. I was just really prepared. I mean, I was nervous out of my mind being on national television for the first time, but in live. Um, but I was like, Oh, I know these like, off. Yeah, you know, the topic, I know them. Yeah. And that's yeah, yeah. I've definitely found that you gotta like, if you know the topic, you're good to go. If you yeah. don't, you're going to stumble and look like you're gonna stumble. And then, you know, that's like the last thing you want to do. And I'm not trained and we, we now we've hired a PR team, but like, I don't have not practicing all the time. I'm just myself. So yeah. That's awesome. Well, let's, let's shift gears now to more of the financial advice part. And I do want to go through those numbers. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, you're probably like, Oh no, please. Here we no. go. Yeah. But, no, but I, they are like, like when I watched the segment from the today show, I'm like, wow, those are powerful things that I've never even knew you should be thinking that way. So you have these five mm-hmm. different financially fit numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And so this actually started, how this started was actually a blog post that I wrote because, um, that I used to call, are you financially sexy? And it's still on my blog. I think, are you financially sexy? So it's like a version of that, but it was when I was blogging and also starting to work with people on their finances, I realized people have no idea like what the digits are. Like they just don't don't know. Yeah. What is it? Like, I don't know. And, um, you know, and that was what started it. And so this is actually a common presentation we give to people because people don't know it. So, um, yeah, the first digit, and I always say to, before I, especially I give this to a group cause like the digits create a lot of anxiety for some people, especially if you're not hitting it, but I would say everything we do financially is fixable. So if you're not hitting any of these, no big deal. It's just, um, you now you know what you need to start working towards. So the first is saving 15% of your gross monthly income. And, you know, it's harder when you're a freelancer, harder when you're starting a business and things like that. But that's the goal. Um, you know, some clients, we got to work down to 10% because they've got debt and kids and other challenges. Some clients were working them up to 30, 40, 50% because they can. And that was me back in the day. I could have been saving more. I just didn't. Um, I maxed out my 401k and I thought I was it. But what people don't realize when you're maxing out your 401k, once you max out that 18,500, that's it. That's all you've saved. So if you're making more than that, that's not, you're not really saving 10 or 15% of your income. So um, 15% savings. And then having after that six is six months of your monthly expenses saved. And that's your, your, you know, the bills you have to pay. So your rent, student loans, car loans, things like that. Uh, 750 is the credit score we want our um, clients to have uh, the the most fit credit score or above. Uh, The credit score. So if you're 700, you're in good shape. If you're over 800, you're in a 
amazing shape, right? Is that kind anything, of so there's like there's a, a range. Anything over 750 is excellent. So we have clients who are like, oh my god, I only have a 780. I'm like, that's excellent. So you know, yeah, you could go up to 850, but like, there, we we just have one client actually screenshot. We have a perfect unicorn client at 850, but not everybody is going to get that because maybe you don't have a mortgage. Like there's other types of like we. I've got a client who's never had a mortgage and won't. And so her credit score, because she doesn't have different types of um, credit, which is one of the factors of your credit score, because she doesn't have multiple types, which that the mortgage would be a good thing. Um, she's always like around a 780. And I was like, that's still excellent. Like, that's why we say 750 or higher is excellent. Um, anything over, I would say anything, oh, first of all, everything's fixable. We had clients with a 400 credit score go up to 600s and 700s. So it's just a matter of how much time it takes to fix it. But anything over um, 700, you know, you're still probably a good candidate for getting other credit and, and or fixing some financial mess, credit mess you might have. So, um, but 750 is like excellent. You can do a lot with that credit score. Most flexibility. Um, two is a digit, like our throwaway digit. I used to give this a lot and say, ask people if they feel financially fit. And they'd say, yeah. And I'm like, are you investing? And they're like, yeah. And I'd say outside of retirement. And they'd say, no. So two is two investment accounts. We want you to prepare for retirement, which we know, you know, people mostly know the retirement options of 401k, 403b, IRA, Roth IRA, TSP, I always say all the letters. Um, but we also want you investing outside of a retirement account. That's something we're not seeing enough. If clients, they'll have a lot of money in like a bank account, have a lot of money in retirement and like in between is like no man's land of, uh, and I always say, if you want to keep up with, you know, our biggest fear clients have not investing in that middle bucket. They say, I'm afraid I'll lose money. And I say, if, if, if you're earning less than 1% in your bank account and inflation's two to 3%, then literally your worst fears are happening every single day. Mm -hmm. Literally your worst fears of losing money are happening every single day because you're losing one to 2% of your money every single day. So do I think you need to invest your money? Like you're investing in your retirement account? Absolutely not. There's something called asset allocation and we we have a investing 101 webinar where we talk about this, but, um, but it should be invested um, more than your bank account. So two investment accounts we want you to have. And then 35% is your debt to income number, which is how much of your monthly expenses are um, going to bills you have to pay versus, um, versus everything else. And I always say you want that number as low as possible. 35% is like a healthy number. We have clients who 70, 80% of their paycheck is going to, to debt or bills they have to pay. And, you know, that's just not healthy either. And what we, we, what I say is you just want the number as low as possible because the lower that is, then the more money you have to, for the fun things in life, which is dining out or travel or, you know, whatever, the less of your paycheck that has to go to bills you have to pay, then um, the better, more healthy. You know, with that debt to income ratio, is it like people are just like splurging too much for like their car, right? And it's just like they're paying like way too much money to drive that fancy car where it's just... Yeah. Well, what happens is people kind of just make decisions. They make financial decisions all the time and then don't always stop and like add it up. And I know it sounds basic, but it's true. So you're paying all these different bills and you can get approved for all these debts. Like they're not concerned, you know, the lenders are not concerned about your financial health. Um they're concerned about making a loan and making money off of that. So um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And what happens is you'll make these decisions and then, you know, the car is always a one-off decision. And then, um, you know, and then the home or the mortgage is another decision. And then you got student loans. 65% of the population has student loan debt. And then, um, 
you know, then what happens is if you can't pay the bills regularly, then all of a sudden you have credit card debt that's continuously going, ongoing, and that becomes, you know, minimum monthly payment that you have to pay. And they just kind of all add up if you're not, so we always say just, you should just try to hack everything. Like every bill that you pay, how can you make it less every month? Like every bill you have to pay, how do you make it less? Because you want the bills you have to pay to be as little as possible. So that way you're paying for the things you want to pay for instead of the things you have to pay for. And that's what that number really says. Got it. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that you talked about uh, in the today segment was about, um, you know, disclosing your, your salary when, you know, so when you were talking about that, like, is that something that people should disclose when they're, you know, so if they're interviewing at a company before, you know, they actually get an offer, right? Should they mm-hmm. disclose their salary? You should never disclose that you're a future employer. <laughs> um, and, and there's certain... This is, you were talking about like when you're already employed, talking about salaries. Yeah. So I, yeah, I brought this up on the Jay show and I do think that we need to be talking and more open about what people are making across the board. It's actually not against the law for you to talk about how much you make to, with your employee, with your fellow employees. There are companies that'll have policies about that, but that's actually illegal. Um, so you are perfectly allowed to talk about your salary with your coworkers and I encourage it. And actually Kevin O'Leary encourages it as well because, um, what happens is like what, why employers are saying don't talk about your salaries because they want to have the upper hand because they know. I mean, I've had we have HR um, head clients who are like they know that the Jill is making significantly less than Joe, and why are they going to try? Why do they want Jill talking to Joe and Jill coming to ask for more money when they have to maintain their own margins? You know, and the business has to has certain profitability. They're gonna they want their employees to be in the dark as much as possible because they're gaming their employees, the the employer. Like, and I've had, and it's not, you know, I always say don't hate the player, hate the game. I mean, a business is a business. It has to have margins and it has to run. And so you're not going to like throw money at people who aren't asking for it. But, um, but you, you know, you want to be smart about it and then, you know, you should, you should know what you're getting paid. And then if you're getting paid less then you need to do your own like self, you know, reflection and research and, and put your case together about why you should be making more and have an honest conversation with your employer about making more and, and why that communication amongst your employees is a good thing is, you know, it, it just, it exposes your employer and now you're putting the ball in their court and, and making them answer why you're not getting paid less. And if they still say at the end of the day, you're not getting paid less or they don't value you as much as they don't value Jill as much as Joe, then why is Jill going to stay there? I mean, I always say working for your, your employer employee relationship is like a, a regular relationship, like a marriage. I mean, you should, where you should both feel like you're mutually benefiting from this relationship and there's mutual respect on both sides. And if you're not feeling that, then why are you staying someplace like that? And how do you advise your, your clients on asking for a raise? Yeah. So I think, you know, I think that you have to do the research. I think you have to um, be really like reflective on, um, on your performance and, and have, you know, the, the story. And I think you need to, you know, have the conversation with your boss. I, my team knows I'm, I, I tell them all the time, everybody knows how much they make. I mean, I I tell people I make a hundred thousand dollars as the CEO of the financial gym. Um, 
that's, you know, there's people who make more than me at the gym. There's people who make less. And I only plan to make a hundred thousand until I sell the business because I want to have room in our payroll to pay people more that I know I can't do without them. You know, like I want to pay them. I'm happy to pay people more than me. Um, to run the business. Like that's, I don't, I'm not hung up on that. But at the same time, then when I'm having the conversation with my employees, it's like, okay, well, what are you bringing to the table? I mean, Kevin and Larry talked about it on our episodes, like how are you, our segments, like how are you contributing to the business? Um, I think an employee should think about that because, you know, there it, it is a business at the end of the day. We might be friends and like, it's a great relationship, but I'm happy to have you as an employee and I love it. But um, we have to pay bills and we have to keep, have margins and we have to, um, you know, we have to run the business and the business has to look a certain way. And, um, you know, and then I understand that you personally have to, you know, have your, you have your own decisions, but um, they have to align. You have to understand sometimes that it's, uh, you know, it's there's, you have to understand, I think you've, as an employee, put your business owner hat, you know, or your boss hat on um, at the same time when you're talking about pay or how, you know, how you can get paid more. So for my team, I'm like, if they're not making, you know, the numbers I need them to make, then I'll say, let's, what's the path to do that? Like what, how, how are we going to get there? Cause I want you to get there or, you know, we're not at that point, but I'm happy to give you more equity and, you know, for you to be part of the team. But sometimes too, you, got, you know, wherever you're working, it's like, especially startup world is really hard to find. I don't suggest anybody work for a startup. If you're trying to do it for the income, if you're going to work for a startup for salary, that is a very mismatched alignment. Uh, you do not work for a startup for salary. Well, let's, let's take it a step further. So, uh, <laughs> hey, I, I have this amazing business idea. I can't get it out of my head. I'm going to go start my own company. Yeah. Like, what do you tell someone as far as? God love you. I mean, God bless. <laughs> like financially, how do I prepare yeah. for starting my own company where, mm-hmm. you know, you need to start generating revenue and pay bills yeah. before you start paying yourself? I tell people there's two ways to do the think about it if you want to start a business. Um, one, there's like the quote right way, like the financially healthy way to do that. And that's having 12 months of your monthly expenses saved. Um, and to be able to pay yourself a salary when you quit. So you have this chunk of money and then we create like a payroll system where you're paying yourself from the savings. So that way all business earnings can just go in that and, you know, you can like build that pot and keep it growing. Um, really understand like the expenses too. So 12 months of savings is for just you to exist on. If there's business expenses too, then that has to, you know, where, where's that coming from? And, um, and really have that, that expenses, um, saved and also thinking about potential credit needs and things like that. Because once you quit your full-time job and if you are, this is just your job, you might not get approved for a new credit card, a business card, things like that. So while you're currently employed, apply for credit, um, when you, you know, you can, cause you have, you'll have the income to show and things like that. And then having that savings is like the, healthy and smart way to do it. Um, and then having as much backup plans like available to you. Um, because I, I always tell people, no matter how great your idea is, like I tell people, I think the financial jumps is the smartest idea ever. And I still do five years later, but it took me a long time to get to actual like making money and investor money. I mean, it was a solid two years of where I went through everything I own 
before I got somebody, you know, to create some kind of results to prove my model before somebody would give me money. So, um, you know, I joke, you're sitting in my 401k when you're at the financial gym, but it's not a joke. I literally don't have a 401k anymore because I put everything into this business. So, you know, to no matter how smart your idea is, it's going to take time to build. It's going to take time to get like traction and, and revenues and investors and all that kind of stuff. So, be prepared personally. So that's the right way to do it. Then I say, then there's a the way I did it, um, which is you are just so passionate about what you want to create. Um, hopefully you have some kind of financial soundness there and there's different choices to make there, but you're so passionate that you just know like this is it and this is your life's purpose. And that passion will fuel you through the really difficult times because there'll be a lot of really difficult decisions you're going to have to make um, if the financials don't work out. Like I had to, I mean, I went into $50,000 of credit card debt personally because um, trying to support you know the house. I had to sell my home um, because I could not afford the mortgage anymore. Um, you know, the, and then I had a lot of fear and shame, I had a lot of shame around that. I'm starting a financial services company about health, financial health, and I'm the least financial healthy person in my team. But I was the least financial healthy person because I started the gym. So um, I think, you know, I, to understand you're going to have to go through a lot of personal uh, financial challenges when you start a company, that's just part of it. Um, but the more prepared you can be, the better. And then if you're not, no big deal. Like if you're passionate, like, I mean, that kept me going and a lot of, and you got to make a really, a lot of really difficult decisions. If you're really passionate about what you're doing, you'll make it work. Well, what's, what's the goal for you in, in the financial gym? Like what's, is it to have the financial gym, like, like fitness gyms are in every, everywhere, like H&R right? Block. Yeah. Yeah. Like H&R yeah. Block. That's mm -hmm. what I was Fun and cool. Um, yeah, that's the vision. Um, gyms across the country, uh, you know, we plan to uh, raise um, our Series A in April of this year. And with that, we want to open up three more locations. So we have our gym in New York, and then we want to open up three other locations and, um, you know, just work toward gyms being everywhere. Um, before that, though, we do work with clients virtually. So we currently work with clients in 47 states in the District of Columbia. Um, but 95% of our virtual clients want a gym. <laughs> yeah, they work with us virtually because that's the only way they can work with us now. But and it is our goal to to have gyms and and give people that that fun, safe place to to go to get physically healthy, I or financially healthy. I tell people just like you know CrossFit or SoulCycle, like an experience, um, you know, a place that brings together people who are like minded and a pursuit of physical health. What I am building is the place that gives people who are like minded. Um, a place to gather, um, but it's around financial health. Yeah, it's such a huge opportunity because it is such a taboo subject that people, A, don't, they're uncomfortable talking about, B, they don't know who to talk to about it, mm -hmm. like, you know, like you discovered. And so what you're bringing to the uh, average everyday consumer is incredibly powerful. Yeah, that's what we're doing. I said, our, our financial people ask me all the time, what does a financial gym look like? I'm, we now have our prototype gym in New York, but I said, it's not barbells and treadmills. It's wine and Kleenex is our workout equipment. I mean, that's what we go through a lot of. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a safe place to talk about money and the things that are impacting our financial lives. And that's, that's what we're building. Well, all the best. Good luck to you. I hope, it, Thanks, hope that all transpires because it's needed. But well, Shannon, thanks so much for taking the time for sharing all about your background, your story, and all these great you know, pieces of financial advice too. Awesome. Thank you so much.
Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.